Let's pray together. Our good, our holy God, we thank you for a chance to worship you in this place today. We are grateful for the gift of worship. We offer our worship to you, Lord, as an offering of praise and thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, that worship is also an opportunity to encourage one another, just as we've sung about. God, we thank you for the songs and the prayers. We thank you for a chance to greet friends and welcome strangers. We thank you for those fleeting moments of silence. God, we thank you for a chance to give. Lord, our God, we're grateful for your word. We thank you for the light that you give us. We thank you for the truth. Lord, we come to your scriptures today with hungry hearts. We ask you, Lord, to make them tender, that we would receive your word as a seed planted in good soil. Lord, we ask you to give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We ask you for eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask you for hands that are strong for service in this world, that our work would be as your very own. And Lord, we pray, we pray that we will leave here today with a word of life and hope and love on our tongues. God, our God, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity. And we say together, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. I don't know about you, but my, my yesterday, Saturday, yesterday was one fantastic day for piddling around. How many of you piddled around yesterday? I didn't do nearly enough piddling. Uh, some Saturdays are just made for piddling. When I was a kid, we were raised on the importance of piddling. Uh, in fact, we were, we, were, we were never welcomed to Saturdays by the sun. We were always welcomed to Saturdays by my father's voice saying, It's time to get up. And we'd get up and we'd go work in the yard or we, we'd do something. We'd take care of some business. Well, I did a lot of things yesterday, but I did a little bit of piddling. I fixed that drawer we, we already talked about, but my, but my big job, my big job, I went to war with some poison ivy. Have you ever gone to war with poison ivy? I mean, I just, we had this little garden in the backyard, and every morning I go out there to see if the squash is big enough to pick yet. And I'm waiting, and it's about right there, right now. That's just too small. But give it a week or so, and we're eating squash, you know. But when I'm out there looking at the squash and looking at the beans that are coming on the plants, uh, I've been taunted by poison ivy that's been creeping over the back fence from our neighbor's yard. Uh, They have chickens and goats. And and we're in a little small subdivision, but they've got farm animals back there. That's just weird. (laughs) Farm animals and poison ivy. Uh, and, it, and it's made its way uh, into our yard. And so, uh, and so I went into the garage uh, this, this weekend on my day of piddling. And I found my very favorite tool. It was given to me a couple years ago by Curtis Moore. Curtis, Curtis has been uh, kicked out of the balcony. So I don't know where to find Curtis anymore. Uh, renovation, you know. You've got to find new people. Uh, Curtis gave me a machete. And uh, machetes are fun. You should get one. Uh, I mean, you, just, you can just sort of slough all kind of stress off when you use a machete. 
And, uh, and I went to war with that poison ivy uh, because poison ivy has to, has to be dealt with swiftly and severely. Yesterday was a great day for piddling. I talked to one friend, and I said, what would you do today? And he said, man, I changed about 10 light bulbs. I changed an air filter. He just, I just sort of caught up on things. We have to catch up on things, don't we? We have to pay attention to things. Things don't just stay useful and functional and right all by themselves. But there's something in us, as much as we're drawn toward maintenance, there's something in us that also is resistant to it. Kurt Vonnegut, uh, in that insightful line that I've quoted a time or two, he said, one of the great flaws of our character is that everybody wants to build and nobody wants to do maintenance. Sometimes we just want to burn it down and start from scratch. But everything that's valuable in life, everything that's good, requires some maintenance from time to time. We've been talking about that as a church family uh, for a few weeks now. We've talked about the, the importance of doing maintenance spiritually and, and how our relationship with God requires intentionality uh, and, and focus, that we participate with the Spirit of God uh, as, as we're molded, as we're crafted, as God shapes us into the likeness of Christ. Our spiritual lives require some maintenance. We've talked about how our working experience requires the doing of maintenance and how, how work is a gift from God but it can also be turned into an idol and, uh, and all the beautiful things that work brings, it can also, uh, it can also be corrosive. And, and, and our work life needs our, our focus and our attention in, in doing maintenance. Today, we, we, we offer up another big area of life. And that's the area of, of relationships. Primarily relationships within the family and among friends. Again, we go back to the creation narratives in Genesis uh, chapter 2. And our focus begins in chapter 2 verse 18 today where God said this. The Lord God said, it's not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the cattle, all the birds of the air, every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. The first anesthesiologist, I guess. Uh, and I wonder if he got paid well. <laughs> they do. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves, leaves his father and his mother, and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. It's an early story about human relationships. 
how, how, how God would have it. It's a story about marriage, yes, and, and there are many implications for healthy marriages here. But it's also a story about the first friendship, if you will. I have some friends that are, that are in London right now. They're, they're studying the, the, this great fresh expressions. They're, they're going on throughout the churches of, of Great Britain, and they want to be better pastors in the U.S., and they're, and they're, they're cocking their eye toward for what's happening in the renewal of the churches in Great Britain. And, and they're sending back these fantastic photos, and one of the pictures is, is they're just sort of hanging around in that little pub where Tolkien and, and Lewis used to hang out. Some of you have been there, and, and I look at that picture with just pure pure unfiltered envy be fun to to be there in the presence of those those great christian thinkers from that previous generation Uh, the story of lewis has so fascinated me for so many years the story about his marriage particularly is is important and the the story of jack and and joy it's it's the story of a great love it's the story of a great marriage but it's at its core the story of a fantastic friendship we're made for friendship. We're made for community. And if we go back to this early story, we see principles there that help us understand that. So today, as we talk about obstacles to a healthy friendship or a healthy marriage, obstacles to, to great relationships between, between grown-up Christ followers, I want to start with some basic observations from this creation story. The first one, if you want to scribble it down, is that God made us. We're made by God. Now, I don't know exactly how that went down, but I believe in my heart of hearts, God did it. That that God made us. And here's the scandal of it all, okay? Okay, wait for this. God didn't have to. It wasn't as if God was like, man, I'm really lonely. I need some homo sapiens to talk to. Without us, don't let this hurt your feelings, God was fine. But God created out of a sense of love and gift and divine ecstasy. Let us make. And then we read in beginning, God. And this is the foundational spiritual truth that it begins and ends and in the middle is God and so all of our relationships if they're going to be valuable if they're going to be rich if they're life-giving and real they need to have a connecting point that returns in reverence to God as the source as the author as the pioneer as the giver of every good and perfect gift And these stories in Genesis, beautiful, powerful, rich truth. These stories say, in the beginning, God. Write that one down. Second thing, if you're scribbling down, I think this observation is pretty neat. Uh, God made us from others. It's a weird story, right? This whole anesthesiologist thing, but, but this, this, this humanity, made from humanity. And then you have Adam and Eve coming together, uh, and the, the mother of all the living. You, you, have, you have life that comes from life. I often discourage navel-gazing. 
often lampoon that, you know, that we get so bogged down and, and paralyzed. You know, I often say, I'm not a labyrinth walker. Don't throw it on. I'm not that guy, you know. I don't take a, you know, elevator down into my heart and talk to man or child. I often make fun of that kind of thing. Sorry, I do. It's a, it's a bad part of me. But for a moment, I want you to navel gaze. At least in your mind. Some of you are looking down. It's making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Everyone in this room, you have a belly button. You were born flesh from flesh. You came into this world screaming and crying and connected. Connected. Friends, this, this little truth ought to humble all of us. That, that we share a common humanity with everyone we meet. That God's uh, benevolent act of creation is one that has tied us all together in some really profound ways. Not to spark a conversation on the way home with your kids, but we don't reproduce like mushrooms. That's not how it works. God made us, and he, and he continues to make us from us. And there's a connectedness one to another. And here's the third thing. The third observation I would point out from this great, great creation narrative is that God made us from others for others. This is the verdict that God rendered. It is not good that man should be alone. Solitary confinement was not God's design for planet Earth. He said this, this solitary figure, no, this will not stand. This will not stand. And so you take these things, you take these basic fundamental observations from the Bible about how God has given life to the earth. And you can take them and you can, and you can look at our relationships and you can judge them by that and they, they speak to it and they inform it. They're basic and they're simple and they're right there and they scream at us. But so often we walk away from the simplicity of these truths. And our relationships suffer from it. As we continue to read the creation narratives, we come to chapter 3 and that, that horrible uh, narrative of sin and rebellion. And we recognize that everything valuable is marred. It's touched by our running away from God. By our desire to be our own masters and lords. Our relationships, one to another, have been touched. They've been marred by our sinfulness. Years ago, Candy Staten uh, recorded a song in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Some of the best music in American history recorded in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And old Candy Staten recorded a song, and it begins with, I ain't easy to love. And the first part of the song talks about how grateful she is for her man because, and how she thanks God every morning because he's faithful to her uh, and he loves her unconditionally and she knows she ain't easy to love. Then at the end of the song, she's singing right to him and, and she's declaring her love for him and, and she says to him, 
Because after all, you ain't easy to love. I'm requiring everyone in premarital counseling to memorize the lyrics to this song. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, I ain't easy to love. And the truth of the matter is, I don't want you to have your feelings hurt. You ain't easy to love. You know who's easy to love? People you don't know very well. <laughs> the rest of us, we ain't easy to love. And it's because of our brokenness. It's because of our sinfulness. It's because of the sinfulness in the world. It's because we're not there yet. It's because he's still working on me. And this sinfulness in our relationships brings together some pretty predictable things. Some pretty common challenges that many friendships, many marriages face. So for a few moments, what I want to do is just sort of highlight and linger over some of those obstacles. Uh, and just together, look at them together and see if they're present in, in, our, own, in our own lives. Uh, and to do that, I'm leaning on Paul Waddell's thoughts from a great little book uh, called Becoming Friends. Paul Waddell has been a, a guest here. He's a Catholic philosopher, and more importantly, uh, he's a practicing friend. He's a practicing friend. Uh, and he's given us a, a handful of important obstacles to consider as we look at enriching our relationships. One, scribble them down. One, uh, a challenge, an obstacle to friendship development and relationships, the radical individualism. Now, to be sure, there is a biblical individualism. There, there's a, there's a, a, a highlighting and an honoring of the individual within Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus in a crowd of people who touched me. Jesus in a crowded temple. Look at that little woman putting those coppers in the offering plate. God sees us individually and loves us individually and is jealous for our hearts individually. Uh, there's something important and beautiful that comes from Scripture that honors the individual. But there is also a satanic version of individualism that is absolutely corrosive uh, and is sometimes celebrated in our culture. It's this swaggering Superman approach to life. It says, I don't need anyone or anything. I got this. I got this. For some reason, I've been thinking a, a great deal about Citizen Kane recently. It just seems sort of applicable. There's that, that gigantic hero of a figure living in a, in a fake home, in a fake castle, dwelling there in Xanadu, king of Xanadu. You want a picture of, of triumphant individualism, it's dwelling alone in a crumbling Xanadu, crying out. And this is the weirdest line in all of movie history. Rosebud. He just wanted that toy from his childhood. He just wanted some, some touch of, of humanity. He climbed to the top and planted a flag and was absolutely alone. Radical individualism is corrosive in our marriage. It's corrosive in our friendships. It's something we should consider as an obstacle. All right, number two, roadblock, consumerism. Consumerism. We live and move and have our being in the midst of a teeming marketplace. And we learn the vocabulary of the market and we, and we have the lenses of the market over our eyes and we begin to relate to people 
in, in market kind of ways. We view our friends, our spouse, we view them uh, as commodities. Should I invest in them, what will the return on that investment be? What will the dividend look like? It's a horrible way to treat people created in the image of God, but we're all squeezing that mold from time to time, and that's why we need to do maintenance. This leads to worldly kind of friendships, the kind of friendships where people literally use each other for getting to love each other along the way. And this doesn't mean that we don't collaborate with people and have shared interests and, and shared goals. It doesn't mean that we don't work together for common purposes. No, a- Adam and Eve in this creation narrative, they were given to one another as partners to do the work of tilling and keeping and, and taking care. Uh, they, they had a common purpose given to them by God, a common stewardship. Yeah, we should put our shoulder together behind a, a plow and push it together. But we do it as sisters and brothers and friends and spouses. Not as some HR problem to be managed. Radical individualism. Consumerism. How about number three? A passion to control. Control is an addictive thing. We get a little of it and we want more of it. Jesus, as he was going about his life, he ran into a couple of control freaks. You ever met some control freaks? In his day, those control freaks were, were some of the religious bureaucrats, some of the scribes, and, and some of the Pharisees. I mean, they had a certain uh, way of approaching life uh, that would put all kind of restrictions on other people. would guide people in a certain way. Uh, and, and they were living out of that controlling center of life. And Jesus one day just peeled the paint off the wall. When we were children, we had a really nice Jesus on the felt board. Then we grew up and became adults and started reading the Bible, and, and you're like, man, Jesus could get really mad. He could say things that weren't all that sweet. And one day in Matthew chapter 23, uh, he, just, he just scorched the earth. This is what he said to these guys. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe uh, mint and dill and cumin, all the little herbs, and have neglected the way to your matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now, if you were a kid hearing that for the first time and you knew what a camel was and a gnat, you would laugh. Because Jesus delivered a comic line there that would have had everybody going, ha ha, until they went, oh. You strain out a gnat? You get your filter papers out and you get the gnat out of there, but you're wrestling down a camel like a boa constrictor? He's like, you got it all backwards and messed up and, and turned around. He said, what do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside also may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which are on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
These controlling people, they looked like they had it all sacked up. Jesus said they didn't. And they were trying to control him. He had been set free by the Father to proclaim the kingdom. And they tried to prune him like a bonsai tree. And they missed it. And they missed it. Friends, uh, controlling people, you, you can tell them coming because they have, they have rage in them. And they're full of fear and selfishness and greed. They're small of spirit and heart. And that controlling tendency is a cancer to friendships. It's a cancer. It's a cancer in marriages. And we should set it aside. Okay, four. If you're writing them down, it's being over-detached. This is almost the polar opposite of being controlling. It's to be overly detached. Sometimes this is called aloofness. Sometimes, uh, in, in addition to this, people develop superhuman skills. John Prine used to talk about Midwestern mind travel. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, he, he wrote a song about this. He, he said he learned Midwestern mind travel. He said his wife would be screaming at him or mad at him about something. And he said in his mind, he would just go to the bowling alley across town. Or in his mind, he would, he would go to this. He'd go to the dog track. In Alabama, and he said he just learned to, he called it mid, Midwestern mind travel. And people learned this superhuman skill. And they travel out of their mind, and they may be physically present, but they're miles and miles and miles away from engaging that living person in front of them. This over-detachment says, you know what, I'm not going to get angry about this, I'm not going to say anything about this, I'm going to let it go, but I'm going to carve out my place on, on this end of the couch. And if they don't mess with my end of the couch, I'm not going to mess with the reclining chair. And this odd peace, this odd peace settles over relationship. And, it, and, it, and it's this, this neutrality. It's this silence. It's this over-detachment. Sometimes this sneaks up on people. Sometimes it's intentional. But it's corrosive. And the last one, and that's Possessiveness. Paul Waddell said possessiveness is a great obstacle to friendship and marriage. It's not the same as being controlling. Uh, possessiveness is, is more clutchy than that. Uh, controlling says, I want you to do this, 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 and this. I'll manipulate you and make you till you get this down. Possessiveness is just, just grasp on and holds with, with all the claws. It's the fear of allowing someone to be. Sometimes it's playing the role of God. In the Old Testament, Saul got like this. He was so jealous of the emerging David, and he, he was so jealous of the affection of, uh, of Jonathan. And his all these people, uh, they're, they're turning to David, and he's losing his place. He becomes just, just sick in his soul because of this possessive clutch he had on the people and the smallness of his own heart. In their book, Flawed Families of the Bible, uh, David and the late Diana Garland wrote about, about Saul. And they said, it takes a healthy person uh, to love self and then to be able to love others. 
He said, even more, it takes a sense of feeling secure and being loved to rejoice when those we love in turn love others. It is that kind of security that parents need to watch with joy as their children learn to love others. The loving daddy knows he cannot forever be the center of his daughter's affection if she is truly to grow into the full bloom of adulthood. Moreover, it is simply the way the world works that a parental generation controls things for a while and then must give way to their children's generation to carry on. Saul chafed over this reality. Instead of rejoicing in his children's love for David, he simmered in a stew of jealousy and rage. For children to be healthy, they must be loved by secure parents. Secure parents must feel loved and cherished in their relationships with each other. Then and only then, when there is a healthy relationship between the parents... Is that parent free to love that kid into freedom and adulthood? Otherwise, there's going to be a a grasp on them. A possessive clutch on them. Born of fear and insecurity. All of these things that Waddell highlights, they're real. And they're as common as as table salt. And I would imagine that on every pew in this church, we could pick out our favorite because that's where we are vulnerable. This is where we we tend toward. This is what we battle. This is the windmill we have to fight. But God is so merciful and God is so gracious. And in the midst of our friendships that need maintenance and in the midst of our marriages that need maintenance, God offers rhythms of grace and mercy. And God calls us out of our slumber. And God says, it doesn't have to be this way. We can grow and it can be rich. There are no perfect friendships. There are no perfect marriages. Our relationships in the kingdom come will be full and they'll be whole uh, and, they'll, and they'll be without the stain of sin and they'll be with liberty and whole, all of that. But we live right now. Right now. We don't get to choose the world we live in. We live in the world that is. And in the world that is, there is sin and there is brokenness and there are truckloads of grace and there is help in our time of need and struggle. And friends, if you're aiming for perfect, you're going to miss it. But there is the possibility of good. And in this room full of people that ain't easy to love, there is the very real possibility that we can live out our lives in rich, life-giving, vital friendships and marriages. And we can experience that when when we approach our relationships with one another through this grid of biblical truth, recognizing that they come to us as gifts from God. Augustine used to talk about how friendships were given to us for divine purposes. That God orchestrated that. That God orchestrated our marriages and our friendships. They come to us by grace. They come to us through God. We we were made from each other. We were made for each other for the glory of God. And so if we know we have obstacles and challenges in the midst of all this, what do we do? Well, to place the cookies on the low shelf, I would just suggest a few things. I would suggest we revere the Lord again. 
and recognize that it's not just a one-on-one relationship among friends and husband and wife. It's not just a one-on-one relationship, but in the midst there is Christ. And we relate to one another. We submit to one another. We love one another out of reverence for Christ. And we recognize how sacred our common friendships are, how sacred our marriages are, how sacred our life together is. We revere the Lord. I would suggest that we would humble ourselves. Relationships are not easy. They're not simple. They're complex. They're tricky. And, it, and it's like playing whack-a-mole. How many of you played? Remember whack-a-mole from the arcade? You know, you, you have these little gophers that come up, and you're trying to knock them all down. As soon as you get one thing under, something else pops up. I mean, it's a living challenge, and it's going to go that way. Why? Because you ain't easy to love. And I ain't easy to love. But it's something all the way, and, and it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, and God is in the midst of all that, making it increasingly, here's the word, gooder. We humble ourselves before God, and we seek help for him in our time of trouble. And if you have a friendship, if you have a spouse, that's a time of ecstasy and trouble. So we humble ourselves. We, we grow in self-awareness and learn how to communicate. So I don't think you understood what I said. I said well, well, we got to learn how to communicate better. Simply got to learn. And, and so you may have to pay some real money to get there. Be money well spent. Develop some self-awareness. Know where your weaknesses are. Know where the chinks in your armor are. Know, know what, what you gravitate toward when you build an obstacle of intimacy in between you and your friends and, and you and your spouse. Self-awareness and the ability to communicate. Five, learn how to practice forgiveness. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about excusing things. That's not all that helpful. Talking about learn how to how to let go of some of that venom that's poisoning you. Let go. Had a great conversation with Helen Ping yesterday. Jim Ping died over the weekend, and uh, man, they they loved one another. A funny couple. I, I I loved them both, and I saw Miss Helen yesterday, and she she said, Matt, I got to feel Jim's last heartbeat. She said, I had my my hand on his wrist and I was feeling his pulse get slower so I put my hand on his chest uh, until I didn't feel it beating anymore she said I'm so glad I got to do that I said Miss Helen that's so special she said we had a a good conversation and I think he heard most of it I said what'd you talk about you know Helen she said well I started off apologizing for all those times I was cross with him (laughs) she said then she goes but you know Jim wasn't always easy to live with and I said, yes, ma'am, I know. Here are two people that looked at each other and said, you ain't all that easy to love, but I love you. And they shared life together, and it was good. And it was good. And it can be good for you, too. But unforgiveness will keep you from that. And the last thing, just marinate in love. Now, not the love that you, you read about in the self-help section sometimes, not the love you see on television, not the, the stupid idea of love that it can be turned on and off like tap water, but the love that's rooted in the revelation of God in Christ, that stubborn, relentless love 
of the empty tomb and the cross. I would suggest regularly just sitting before that definition of love in in 1 Corinthians 13 about the patience of God, the peace of God, the kindness of God. Let that stuff wash over your mind and enter your heart and into the marrow of your bones and live out of that. You don't have to be an expert in all the challenges that face a marriage. But you do have to pursue love and the way of the gospel. And the gospel needs to be preached in your friendships, in your marriages, as well as to the nations of the earth. Because it is hope and it is life. So as we do maintenance this week, Let's take these great tools given to us by God. They're pneumatic tools. They're powerful. And fix what the world, the flesh, and the devil has broken in our relationships. God, we thank you for a chance to worship in this place. We thank you for for calling us to life and calling us to life together. Lord, we thank you for uh, Scripture, and we thank you for wise counsel, and we thank you for Christians who help us mature in our faith. God, I pray for our friendships and our marriages, our relationships with each other. I pray that we would bring them before you and that we would lay them before you and we would ask you uh, to work in our lives uh, to increase the joy and the aliveness and the witness of your truth uh, in, in our midst. God, as we stand and sing, we pray that you would give us a sense of your, of your spirit's movement and leadership. Forgive us and heal us, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand up and sing. We're going to sing what we call a hymn of commitment. If you have made commitments in the privacy of your heart uh, that you would make public today, we invite you to come. If you simply need us to pray with you, uh, we invite you to come for God's glory and for your good. David, please lead us.